As women become more economically independent and more philanthropically active, what do fundraisers need to know? Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Angela White. Angela's full-time job is she serves as CEO of Johnson Grossnickel & Associates, a leading fundraising consulting firm here in the United States, but she's also a longtime serving faculty member with the fundraising school. And one of the courses she teaches for us is gender differences in philanthropic giving. And so, Angela, thanks so much for being My with pleasure. us. My pleasure. That course translates the cutting edge research of the Women's Philanthropy Institute located at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. And so, Angela, just to kind of start out at a macro level, mm -hmm. what are some of the bigger distinctions we see uh, in terms of how women are philanthropically active compared with men? Mm, right. Well, thank you for this important topic. And I think one of the biggest pieces that we see as a difference is that women tend to give smaller gifts to multiple institutions in a year and men mm -hmm. tend to focus and give larger gifts okay. to fewer. So I might be giving the same exact amount as you do, but I'm spreading it out. So then what's a practical reality of that? When you say, hey, run me a list of everybody who's given us $10,000 a year, my name is not gonna show up on that list, although I have that mm. capacity. So that's one differentiator that we as fundraisers have to learn to screen for loyalty so we need to look at the loyal number of years I've given, even at smaller amounts, so that my capacity and interest equally bubbles up to my male counterparts. So that's one key. The second key is that we tend to think about plan giving donors mm -hmm. as our major donors of the past who've been giving cash. It's really the woman who's been giving very small amounts. Sometimes that's 10 and $25 a year mm. over their lifetime to your institution. Time and time again, both we see through research and I hear it anecdotally with all of my client work, give the largest bequests. I just had an institution where the largest bequest they've ever received in their history was um, eight-figure bequest from a woman who had no particular affiliation except that her father went to the institution. Wow. So again, I think we've got to uncover right and look at how women give differently in order to uncover them in our database and work with them during life. Angela, a couple things to amplify that response. Number one, when you mentioned that uh, women donors tend to uh, give smaller gifts to lots of organizations mm -hmm. and do so year after year after year. That fits in with any donor relationship as we teach at the fundraising school. If somebody has donated to you three or four years in right. a row, that is a lot of philanthropic love mm -hmm. and they could be inviting us to invite them to make a larger gift. Absolutely. The other thing that, that surfaces from your comment is, we know that when women donate, they tend to do so in a highly relational way, mm -hmm. uh, in, in mm -hmm. a way with others. And so it sounds like uh, our female donors tend to want to be in relationship with lots of nonprofits. Exactly, and that relationship piece can also lead to another factor we've learned about in research is that women often take much longer to make a gifting decision than her male counterparts. So it might be a little more transactional, guy to guy, right? and it is more relational woman to woman, and sometimes because I'm building that relationship, my gifting takes a longer time to make a final decision. Sometimes that's frustrating for development officers, so you have to understand that difference to know that she's not putting you off or just delaying a decision. It's the way she works philanthropically. I think the other big difference we've seen, and you know, I've been at our firm now 23 years, so a long time, and in the very beginning when we would do a feasibility study mm -hmm. interview, 
we had a rule at JGA, a rule that we did not interview husband-wife couples. Wow. Now, why would we have that silly yeah, rule, why? you ask, right? Well, because it was hard, right? Your two people are talking at you. You're trying to get both opinions. Um, we have completely flipped that based on research. Mm -hmm. And now we say our preference is always a couple, same gender or husband-wife couple, always, unless the institution knows who the philanthropic decision maker is. Mm. The research in husband-wife couples is that 60% of the time in the high net worth households, they're making the decisions together. Yes. When they're not making them together, she's the driver. Mm. And so if you only pick one, and sometimes I will say with implicit bias, we're picking him. Yes. Then you are lessening your chances of having a fulsome conversation about the support of your institution. So couples is another really important piece, and it is hard. So you know you work hard at a joint location. You do the interview or the major gift meeting at night. You know when they're both mm -hmm, available, mm -hmm. it is more difficult, but it's also more fruitful. Yeah, and of course, if this is donor focused, this is the way we need Absolutely. to move forward. Uh, you talk about the relational nature that women tend to give within, and you, you have so much experience and expertise in our field, Angela. What have you seen with giving circles? You know, when mm -hmm. I teach, yeah. I always ask, who knows of giving circles involving men? And I'm not talking about poker night because they're sitting at a circular table, <laughs> Money right? Money is exchanged, Money right? Money is exchanged, right, the yeah. table is round, but that's not what we're talking yeah. about. And occasionally you hear about a, a men's giving circle. Or a couple's Or maybe. a male-female together mm -hmm. giving circle. Right. But when I'm speaking with a female donor, there is a chance she may take this back to her giving circle. Right. Help us understand right, right. that. So, you know, giving circles came out of the old days of quilting circles on the front mm. porch, right? And so that whole relational piece of how do we, women value collaboration over competition. Mm. And so how do we come together? In fact, I have a meeting just this afternoon with a group of uh, women in a giving circle okay. who want to explore this a little more, but how do we come together we learn information, we share knowledge, we enjoy that conversation, that time together, and we move the needle philanthropically by our collective giving. And I think it just fits the perfect nature. Not, not every single person loves a giving circle. That doesn't mean every woman right. wants to be in your giving circle. Right. But if you're looking for that relational piece of philanthropy and the collective rather than the competition, also, if you're looking for education, because in our giving circle models, there's wonderful education about topics in your community, topics at your institution. What can I learn to make an informed philanthropic choice? It's a perfect setup. Also, a giving circle doesn't limit giving. So I might do $1,000 a year to be in the you know, Indianapolis Impact 100 giving yes. circle of women and I learn about a topic I love. And so then I decide I'm gonna make a $10,000 gift over here to that charity in addition to my giving circle. Sometimes I hear people worry that a giving circle limits donors, and I think it just opens up the door even more. The giving circle is not the only vehicle right. that a woman is donating, mm -hmm. perhaps. Right. Uh, so obviously at the fundraising school, we teach that in-person meetings are the best, mm -hmm. but what implications does this research have for social media fundraising? Yes, so um, I, I do teach this uh, two-day course, as you said, on women as donors, and I always say to the participants, I can buy a pair of shoes at a stoplight, and I've been known to do it, but don't tell my 16-year-old son who just got his driver's license yes. that. But, so, so this research shows us that women are the most active online in terms of both researching your organization online, but also conducting our day-to-day -day business. You know, click listing my grocery store list so I don't have to go there, right? Um, ordering my food so that I can drive up and pick it up, and I don't have to go in and wait. So all of the use of social media, in terms of driving online 
purchasing, right? And so how do we translate philanthropy to that? So if I'm saying, get on board with this project, you're not asking me um, in an Instagram post or a Facebook post or a Twitter feed to make a million dollar gift, right? right? But you're asking me to get on board, to learn something, to take an action, or to make a small gift, right? To a project. And I think we have to be very savvy that women are looking for that. We're looking for quick, easy, how can I cut a step but still have quality? You know, I, I'm not buying bad food online. I'm not buying cheap shoes online, right? I still want quality and I want the ability to do it quickly on my time. And I think that is very different. I'm not saying that my male counterparts don't also take right. advantage of that. But for us to utilize social media for women, there needs to be a call to action. So is it a step I need to take? Ooh. Is it a gift I need to make? Is it something I need to sign up for? What's my call to action? And how easily can I share? Because the one thing we know about women is word of mouth is very powerful. So not only when I'm just chatting, hey, where'd you buy that? Oh, I got that here. Or what'd you do last night? I went to this awesome event at the hospital, right? But I also want to share that online. So making your posts easily shareable so that I can get that information out to my friends. So I think it's very powerful for women. That is a great point and a great explanation, Angela. And we know just social media overall, by a factor of two to one, women mm -hmm. are on social media more than yes. uh, men. And so we just need to keep that in mind when we're mm -hmm. fundraising online. Angela, last question. And I know you believe this uh, about all the research, whether it relates to age, whether it uh, relates to race and ethnicity, religion, other demographic factors. When we talk about women as donors, we're not stereotyping. These right. are tendencies. These are predictors. Exactly. And there might be a, a, a male who donates in a way that is shown similar mm -hmm. to the way women mm -hmm. give. Or there vice are versa. women or vice yeah, versa. Right. Help us again unpack that mm -hmm. for us as we uh, do our frontline fundraising. Right. I think that is such an important point because we don't want to sit in a room and say women behave this way, men right. behave this way. We've got We've got generational overlays that impact how men and women behave. So what generation I'm from impacts my influencing and how I look at philanthropy. Certainly my ethnicity, as you said, where I am in life, right, in terms of my own family, et cetera. Right. So all this great research, and it's important, cannot substitute for meeting with her. Right. and for understanding her. And for every example I give you of how the research shows a woman might behave, you can give me five of these women don't behave that right. way. So we use the research as a tool, and then we develop the relationship with her and really learn and understand how she likes to give. Just like I said, not every woman loves a giving circle. Many, many do, and it's a predominant um, way of engaging women, but not everyone does. And so how do we take the research but get back to the good old work of building a donor relationship. Angela, thank you so much for that wisdom and being able to apply that to our everyday fundraising. Uh, again, all this is based on the research from the Women's Philanthropy mm -hmm. Institute, which is located at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, which also hosts the Fundraising School. And you can find out more information on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the Fundraising School. You'll find out about our 18 public courses, including this two-day course mm -hmm. on gender differences in philanthropic giving. You'll also find out about our custom training. We can go anywhere in the world with those courses or courses designed to meet your specific needs or your association's needs or your region's needs. We can tailor that uh, to whatever your expectations are. We have quarterly webinars, these free podcasts, all the resources available at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. With Angela White, I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed 
on this first day from the fundraising school. Thank you.